freedom, man. That's what it's all about. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. This show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is Happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark. Freedom for the people, that's what this show is all about, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, one and all. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Today is Sunday, August 26, 2012. My website, whatonearthishappening.com, the network's website, oraclebroadcasting.com. This show is live every Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time. That's 4 to 6 p.m. Central time. We have an awesome show lined up for you here today, and it is going to be information-packed an information-dense show coming your way. We're going to be continuing to talk about the practice of carnism and how this is one of the factors that is ultimately keeping humanity in the prison-based modality of consciousness in which it currently resides. We're going to be getting into today the occult aspects of carnism. The occult reasons why this is a practice that we should not be undertaking in our daily, day-to-day lives. And I'm going to be talking about the moral justifications for carnism, the reasons people give to continue this practice. And then we'll be hearing from a couple of uh, high-level occult researchers, occult authors, um, who I find their views valid and enlightening and who I do not follow their views. Their views are ones which I actually encountered after coming into the knowledge uh, regarding the, the immorality of the practice of carnism for myself. Um, after that, I actually encountered uh, the gentleman's work uh, who I'm going to be reading from today. Uh, and these come from a couple of different occult traditions. We're going to be talking about um, reasons for for ceasing and desisting the practice of carnism from the uh, Masonic and Rosicrucian perspectives. And I, when I say those terms, I mean from the original esoteric intent of these traditions, not as they have basically degraded down through the centuries and come to us in the modern form, but 
this, these are esoteric teachings that come from out of the ancient world and really date back to traditions that go right back into ancient Greece and Egypt and even far older than that, right into the dawn of human antiquity. So that's coming up on the show today. This, of course, is an ongoing continuation of the solutions-oriented approaches that we're talking about, about how to get out of this mess in consciousness that we've worked ourselves into. So this is all part of the solutions section that I call the way out. And it's part of the non-support of dominators and the non-support of the practice of domination over any species. The, it's, it's part of removing oneself from the concept of having authority over other beings. Because as we've talked about many times in the past, there is no such concept. It is an illusion that is the byproduct of a, an imbalanced psyche. So that's coming up on the show today. I have uh, many event announcements, and please bear with me through these because it's so important. There is so much stuff that's going on, and it's good stuff. This stuff that's happening in these meetings that are taking place and gatherings of people, I mean, this is a, actually an exciting time. Uh, a lot is going on, and that's a good thing because that means more people are waking up and getting involved. So many uh, event announcements. Of course, the first one. The big event here in Philadelphia coming up next year in April of 2013, the Free Your Mind 2 conference. It is shaping up incredibly so far, and uh, people are coming forth to volunteer their efforts. We still need more volunteers, so if you're in the Philadelphia area, please get in touch with me. Mark at freeyourmindconference.com is the email address. If you can seriously dedicate time, energy, and effort to this project, we need help. So I'll say that first. The Free Your Mind 2 conference coming up April 25th, 26th, and 27th, 2013 here in the city of Philadelphia. It is a, a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult. Free Your Mind returns to Philadelphia in 2013 with a three-day conference featuring top caliber whistleblowers from across the country who will shed light upon our world, world's problems and bring forward empowering solutions. This unique event will build upon the success of the first Free Your Mind conference in 2011 with a continued focus to spread awareness on the topics of consciousness, mind control, subvert, subversive occult influences, holistic body, mind, spirit, health, and solution-oriented approaches to the problems humanity faces in these challenging times. April 25th, 26th, 27th, doors open at 8 o'clock a.m. each day. The location is the beautiful Arch Street Friends Meeting House here in Philadelphia, 320 Arch Street. That's actually between 3rd and 4th, right on Arch Street here in Philadelphia. Advanced ticket prices for the Thursday conference, $30. For the Thursday evening speaker meet and greet with light vegetarian and vegan fare, $20. The Friday conference, $40, and the Saturday conference, $40. For all three days, including the speaker meet and greet, $120. That's a $10 um, discount on the total package. And if you want to get uh, that or the tickets for the speaker meet and greet, I can announce now that there is a capped limit for the speaker meet and greet. We can only fit 300 people in the uh, room where the meet, speaker meet and greet is going to be taking place. So we will cap that event at 300 people. Um, we have the first Free Your Mind 2 conference fundraiser coming up 
Saturday, September 15th at 8 o'clock p.m. at Liberty's Pub. Liberty's Restaurant and Bar is at 705 North 2nd Street, Philadelphia, PA, in the Northern Liberty section of the city. It's a $15 donation at the door. It will feature a presentation by me entitled The Matrix Trilogy Decoded, where I'm going to be getting into uh, deeply the allegory of the Matrix movies and what uh, the hidden meanings of those movies really is all about. So that's Saturday, September 15th, 8 o'clock p.m., Liberty's Pub. Conference tickets will also be available at the fundraiser. All proceeds for this fundraiser go toward offsetting the costs, large costs, I might add, associated with bringing in out-of-town speakers for this great conference coming up in April of 2013. The featured speakers for this conference, I didn't mention them. Let me just read the list, and we have two new confirmations as well. Alan Steinfeld. Alfred Weber, Andrew Bashago, Ben Stewart, Bob Tuscan, Curtis Davis, the Illuminated One, uh, Dr. Dream, Mark Peebler, Freighter X, Freeman Fly, Jan Irvin, Jay Parker, Joseph Meyer, Laura Eisenhower, Lennon Honor, who confirmed last week, myself, Mark Passio, Sonia Barrett, who also confirmed last week, and we just got today, I haven't even had time to put them on the website. Uh, I'm going to be putting up uh, speaker bios and photos for two new confirmed speakers just confirmed earlier today, Dr. Lauren Moray and Ross Ben. Great speakers added to the Free Your Mind conference, and we will be adding more as more people confirm. So um, we're probably going to have around 25 speakers when this is all said and done. It's going to be an incredible, unique event. And if you can be in Philadelphia in April of 2013, do not miss this one. It is going to blow the roof off of the Arch Street Meeting House. So um, the next um, event announcement I have is the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity Monthly Free Documentary Screening and Discussion Evening at Essene Food Market and Cafe. 719 South 4th Street here in Philadelphia. This month it will be taking place as it does every month on the last Thursday of the month. This month, um, Thursday, August 30th, 2012 from 6.30 p.m. to 8.45 p.m. The um, film we will be screening this month is part one of the movie Original Intent by the filmmaker James Yeager. James Yeager will also be appearing live at this event. He will be introducing the film and taking questions after the film's conclusion. So you won't want to miss that great documentary filmmaker. He's the maker of um, Fiat Empire, a phenomenal film about the Federal Reserve. And this film is about what the original intent of the founders of this country was all about and how we have really veered wildly off course from that intent. So that's Thursday, August 30th, 6.30 p.m. at a scene food market, 4th and Monroe Streets in Philadelphia. For more information, visit www.truthfreedomprosperity.org. Also, for the Free Your Mind conference, of course, you want to check out the new conference website. I neglected that to mention that as well, freeyourmindconference.com. Go up there, check it out. Tons of speaker bios already posted. Um, brand new website for the Free Your Mind conference. Um, the next event announcement is the End the Fed Rally. It's a nationwide rally, End the Fed 2012. This is coming up on Saturday, September 22nd, and the official End the Fed Rally for Philadelphia will be taking place that day, 6, 
at 6th and Arch Streets in front of the Federal Reserve Branch Bank here in Philadelphia. That starts at noon, 12 o'clock p.m., 6th and Arch Streets, September 22nd. I will actually be giving a speech outdoors in front of the Fed building along with Larkin Rose and other speakers. So it's going to be a great day and a great, we'll march from the Fed building, turning our backs on this immoral institution and marching uh, up Market Street and around City Hall and then, uh, you know, back down Market Street. So um, if you can make it to this rally in Philadelphia, it's all about saying no to the immoral practices of the Federal Reserve System Institution. For more information on this event, visit endthefed2012.com. You could also visit truthfreedomprosperity.com for more information. Okay, the MUFON PA East Coast Conference, that's Mutual UFO Network of Pennsylvania, is having their East Coast Conference on September 28th, 29th, and 30th at the Sheraton Bucks County Hotel, 400 Oxford Valley Road in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. The speakers for Friday are John Ventry and Frank Fashino Jr. There will also be a cocktail party with hors d'oeuvres on Friday evening. Saturday's speakers will be featuring Sue Switek, Karen Dolan, Stan Gordon, Travis Walton, and Rob Switek. Saturday dinner will feature Peter Robbins, the keynote address speaker for the conference. And the Sunday speakers are Grant Cameron, Richard Dolan, Stephen Bassett, and myself, Mark Passio. I will be giving a talk called Morality and Disclosure, Moral Issues Involved in the Ongoing Cover-Up of Extraterrestrial Phenomena. For more information on the MUFON PA East Coast Conference, please visit MUFONPA.com. That's M-U-F-O-N-P-A.com. You can also check out MainlineMUFON.com. That's MainlineMUFON.com. And click on Annual Conference for uh, full bios and abstracts of the speakers. All right. That's the main event announcement, some what on earth is happening news. I was interviewed this past Friday night, August 24th, on Down the Rabbit Hole with Popeye. Always uh, enjoy being on Popeye's show on Orion Talk Radio Network. The show will be up in the news section in the next couple of days. Uh, I am going to pull the archive from Popeye's show from Down the Rabbit Hole, and I'll be posting it to the what on earth is happening news section in the next couple of days. I will be interviewed on Wide Awake Radio with Charlie McGrath on, uh, of WideAwakeNews.com this Monday night, August 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen in to that show at WideAwakeNews.com. Uh, Charlie's show is also carried on the Rents Radio Network. On uh, this coming Tuesday, I will be guest hosting for Bob Tuscan on the Bob Tuscan Show. Bob is on vacation this week. He's having uh, guest hosts all week, and I will be filling in for Bob on this Tuesday, August 28th, from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, here on Oracle Broadcasting. The ad-free chip-in effort, I have to so commend and congratulate people and thank them from the bottom of my heart. We have already hit our goal for the second three-month period. This is phenomenal news um, I can't thank people enough for so generously donating to this uh, cause of keeping the uh, two 
uh, main hours of this program ad-free with only a two-minute a short intermission in between the two hours now ad-free on what on earth is happening so um, let's keep the chip-in effort going uh, the next three-month period will be um, starting the donations for which will be for February March and April period and we'll we'll need to raise approximately another thousand for that period which um, the the uh, time period to raise that will end uh, at the end of January. So I'll be posting that new chart soon. But if you go to the ad free chip in page in the uh, news section of what on earth is happening.com, you'll see that we have hit our goal for the um, three month period that we were shooting for. So um, absolutely uh, thank you and great work to people who have uh, really put an effort forward to uh, make this show remain commercial free. Um, I will be, I, I want to announce that I will be um, refraining from doing extra radio interviews during the months of September and October. So I will not have uh, interviews on other shows during these two months. This is because there are so many duties associated with the organization and promotion of the Free Your Mind Conference that I am basically going to take a uh, short break from additional interviews for that two-month period to focus fully on the organization and promotion of, of the Free Your Mind 2 conference. I'll then be ramping up the efforts again starting in November to heavily promote for the show, and I'll be doing radio interviews again starting in November, but I need this uh, approximate uh, two-month period to uh, really focus on this work for the conference. So I just wanted to announce that as well. Since we are still in the non-support of Dominator section, the solution of this uh, um, radio show, uh, there will still be no calls until this entire section is completed, which will be in the next couple of weeks. The upcoming topics after today's show on carnism will be women's role in discontinuing the support of Dominators and the Dominator culture. And um, I will be probably doing one uh, show, one entire show on that topic starting next week and then I am planning on inviting a guest on the following week to talk on that topic I'm not going to announce that just yet until I have it definitively confirmed but a, a, a great guest possibly coming up in two weeks here on what on earth is happening for the full show we'll probably take some calls for that show but um, the calls for the entire topic of the non-supportive dominators in general will be coming up probably in about three weeks and I'll be doing two entire call-in shows on that topic. The one caveat to that is if you want to speak in defense of carnism, I'm making it a prerequisite if you want to come on the air and voice your opinion on that, that you must have watched the movie Earthlings from beginning to end in one sitting without like you know, shirking away from it, going and doing other things, looking away from the screen. I want to know that someone has paid attention and watched this documentary film about the horrors involved in the practice of carnism and the procurement of meat as a quote-unquote food. So that's the one prerequisite. Um, if you haven't seen that film and you're going to try to speak in defense of carnism, I will abruptly cut you off and hang up because that is my requirement. I have a show. I bring people on to share their views. If you want to share that view, I'm not stopping you from doing it. I'm just saying if you want to do it on my show, then that's the requirement is that you have seen that movie in its entirety because I will have questions that I want to direct for you having seen it 
and still in the, the defense of this practice. So that's the only caveat or prerequisite to the call-in shows that are going to be coming up. Okay, I'd like to direct everyone to the whatonearthishappening.com a website. Go to the radio show tab, and there you will see images for today's show, as always, that um, highlight the topics and ideas that I will be talking about here on the show today. So let's jump in with the topic. Um, I'll just go through the slideshow briefly. Um, image number one is, of course, a poster for the Free Your Mind 2 conference. I finally got around to working one up, and uh, there you see it in image number one. I'll be adding speakers to this flyer as more of them confirm. Image number two is a conference for the first conference fundraiser, uh, the Matrix Trilogy decoded presentation highlighted in that flyer. Image number three is the End the Fed flyer for the um, nationwide End the Fed rally. Image number four is the flyer for the MUFON PA East Coast Conference. Image number five is the slide that I call The Way Out, which is the title of this entire section. So um, this is all about solutions, and the grassroots solutions for real, positive, and lasting change are listed in slide number six. The section that we are on now and have been on for many weeks is the non-supportive dominators. That's slide number seven. Last week we started this topic and really talked about health concerns uh, connected with the topic of carnism, with the religion of carnism. And we basically dispelled a lot of these myths regarding why the practice of eating meat is uh, natural, normal, natural, and necessary, this famous three ends argument which we completely blew apart last week and will continue to do so this week. So image number eight just showed this simple etymological definition of the word controversial, which I said this topic would be. Um, the word controversial is derived from the Latin language. The prefix contra means facing, face to face or up against. And the verb versare, which the second part of the word is derived from, verso versare means to change or to alter. So when we put them together, we understand in its root definition, the word controversial in fact means coming face to face with change. Face to face with changing, with having to change. And that's why things like this are considered controversial. What we really are saying is we're face-to-face -face with something that is telling us we must change. And that creates discomfort in us because ultimately we don't want to change. We want to stay where we are. We want to stay in our comfort zone. So that's what this issue is ultimately all about. Evolution always must take us out of our comfort zone and into unknown territories. So it is always controversial when proposing behavioral changes to people who have simply done these things in an unconscious state of mind their entire lives and been taught that it is okay and there, that there are justifications for these practices. We defined carnism last week as a dogmatic religion, moving on to slide number nine now, as a dogmatic religion based entirely upon violence based entirely upon violence, the main belief system of which 
is, is that it is morally justifiable and or necessary to kill animals and eat their dead flesh. I called carnism last week in no uncertain terms the ultimate expression of domination. The ultimate expression of domination. We blew apart, as I said, the normal, natural, necessary argument last week. This argument, I've said, is provably false. Immoral meat industry propaganda. It is not normal, it is not natural, and it is not necessary. And we looked at those provably false arguments last week. We talked about the numbers of lives extinguished needlessly in the animal population just last year alone. 10 billion land animals in 2011 alone slaughtered for their flesh. If aquatic animals, water-based animals are taken into consideration, that number in the United States alone, in the last year alone, totaled over 65 billion, with a B, lives extinguished. Worldwide figures were over double that number and places the total number of animal deaths at the hands of human beings in the year 2011 alone at over, well over 150 billion animals. That is 21 times the population, the human population of this planet. This week we're going to start in with looking at justifications for the continuation of this practice and we're going to look at them one by one. And really there's, there's many more justifications than just the number I'm going to list here, but I want to focus on six major justifications for the continuation of the immoral practice of carnism. It is a religion, as I've said. It's not just an ideology and a practice. It's a religious belief system. It is based on things that are not grounded or rooted in fundamental principles of truth. Therefore, it is a religion. A religion is defined by the root word religare in Latin, which means to tie back, to hold back, or to thwart from forward progress. That is what the word religo religare means, to thwart from forward progress by tying or binding. Religion is binding. We've talked about this before on the show. Religion can also have an alternative meaning of reuniting or reconnecting to something, and that something being truth, being the universal spiritual laws of creation, the universal laws of consciousness, if you will. And that's what we need to retie ourselves to, reconnect ourselves to, reunite ourselves with. That is true religion. But in the sense of religion being used in this world, organized religion and false ideological belief systems, religion is a binding practice that holds us back, that thwarts us from forward evolutionary progress in consciousness. So that is the sense I'm using the word religion in, the connotation I'm using it in. And we talked about what justifications are. Justifications are we could also look at the root word of justification. It comes from the Latin jus, meaning right or law, and the Latin verb 
uh, facio facere, which means to make or to create. So when we put these together, justification, it means to create a right, to make up a right that does not exist, to make a right out of a wrong, to imagine to oneself and to try to tell oneself that a wrong is a right. That's what justification or justifying something is doing. It is trying to make a right out of something that is wrong, morally wrong. And justifications really hold no weight. They hold no water. They are something that, they're, they're lies that we tell to ourselves. That's really what a justification is. Justifications are lies that we tell to ourselves about what we may be doing, what we are allowed to do, that actually causes harm to other living beings. There's no such thing. If it causes harm to other living beings, you shouldn't be engaging in that practice. So, justifications means the creation of rights that do not exist. And I put the slide number 13 uh, with alien beings, a uh, seemingly comical slide, uh, until you really think about it and you understand this is exactly what humanity is. Uh, for anybody who's truly aware, you realize humanity is food. By our own choice, by our own ignorance, through our own ignorance, we are food. I mean, you want to really know what the purpose of the prison planet is? It's to make you food. That's what the purpose of it is. In no, in very simple, easy to understand language, if you want to really know what the end goal is, it's you being eaten. And you can look at that in physical terms if you really want to look at it that way. I have no problem with you even looking at it that way. But you're being spiritually devoured. The essence of you is being devoured by the dark forces that currently are in control of this planet. And you're being used as a fuel source for them. You're being eaten by them, by those forces, by those entities, if you will. So this is a, an ostensibly uh, comical piece of um, social commentary here in slide number 13. But if you want my opinion... It's literally true. It's quite literally the case. And these aliens have a human being on their dinner table with an apple stuffed in his mouth and all trimmings around him like a Thanksgiving dinner, like a turkey on a table during a Thanksgiving dinner. And they're all making individual justifications. The um, six aliens who are seated around the dinner table, around the, hum the dead human being, are all making justifications for why they feel that it's okay for them to continue the practice of slaughtering human beings and using them as their food. So we'll cover these one by one and I'll talk about what these arguments really are. These justifications for carnism which I list on slide number 15. Slide number 14 is simply the etymological definition of justification. So um, Slide 15 shows these justifications for the practice of carnism. And the first is what I call the apathy and ignorance justification. The we don't really care about them. They're them, we're us, we don't care about what happens to them. We can't care about what happens to them. We have too many other concerns, don't you know? 
You know, after all, they have nothing to do with us. They're different and separate from us. What happens to them is their own lot in life. We got to worry about what happens to us. The apathy. I don't care about their suffering and ignorance. If I don't pay attention to it or look at it, it doesn't really affect me. The ignorance justification, I should call it, and start using that inflection when using that word. Ignorance, because that's what it really is. is It's ignoring the injustice. It's ignoring the suffering. The quote that backs this justification up is, we have our own problems. We don't have time to worry about whether they suffer or not. So that's the apathy and ignorance justification. And if you want to remain apathetic and ignorant, you know what invariably ends up happening. Enslavement. You can't have freedom without care and intelligence. And if you want to ignore things, you don't want to pay attention, you don't want to acknowledge and admit to what's really going on, you're going to end up enslaved. If you don't care, you're going to end up enslaved. If you want to remain apathetic, you're going to end up enslaved. That's how the laws of nature actually do work. The second argument, oh, they kill other animals for food. Why shouldn't we do the same? Well, we see this happening in quote-unquote nature. You know, we see animals being carnivores and killing other animals for their food. Why shouldn't we do the same? Why shouldn't we just act as other beasts of the field? It seems like that's the natural order, right? Well, I call this the fundamentally flawed idea of the quote-unquote natural order justification. This, is, this involves an erroneous perception of what nature's laws actually are. And it's based on Darwinian evolutionary theory. Darwinian macrobiological evolutionary theory, which there is no scientific evidence to support. And people will horrifically react to that statement. But go look in the actual fossil record and look at all of the mental gymnastics that is done to, support, to prop up this theory of macrobiological Darwinian evolution. Darwin himself didn't believe in this theory with the religious fervor that people of the modern world accepted. He said that there would have to be ample, provable scientific evidence within the fossil record over many species of transition, transitional species. And you want to know how many of those actually have been found in the fossil record? Exactly a big goose egg. Zero. So for the people that... Just take a look at a a practice that an animal happens to be engaging in right now during its evolutionary development. We say that's the way it forever has been, is now, and forever shall be for all time. And actually believe Darwin's theory, this idea of survival of the fittest and survival of the, the most ruthless just because we see certain animals engaging in those carnivorous practices today in the modern world, which I've made statements in the past that I do not even necessarily believe that it has always been that way, that animals always were carnivorous in the way that they are today, just because we see them engaged in certain behaviors and practices today. And certainly there is no reason we need to follow an example like that, because we are a higher thought-capable being 
than the animals we're referring to. Just because they're doing it doesn't mean you should follow suit and go and behave like an animal. You're supposedly something a little bit more in consciousness, in evolutionary terms in consciousness, than a base animal. At least we're supposed to be. This idea that man is nothing more than an animal is one of the root ideologies of Satanism. One of the root ideologies of Satanism is man is absolutely indistinct from other animals, completely. And therefore, go ahead and just engage in animal behavior. And if you don't believe me, go look that up. I should know I was a priest in this religion in my past, so I should know all about it. Better than most people, right? But don't even take my word for it. Go read about it for yourself. Those podcasts were all posted in the 70s in What on Earth is Happening, former podcasts. Go, go back in, in the early 70s, I believe. Listen to the shows I did on Satanism and Dark Luciferianism. Read those resources. Understand that their mental uh, worldview and ideologies. And that's one of them. That the natural order is kill or be killed, slaughter who you have to slaughter to get your way and to you know, ensure your way of life. I call this the fundamentally flawed idea of the natural order, which has nothing to do with the actual natural order in nature. Zero to do with it. It's based on a completely erroneous assumption, based on very brief, thin slicing instances of time. And you're making a, a judgment on what the totality of the natural order actually is. And it has nothing what, whatever to do with that erroneous perception. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on the show. The third justification. God gave us dominion over the animals. I love this one. Uh, can't you tell how much I love this one, folks? This is my favorite of them all. God gave us dominion over all the animals. So that means we can murder them and just use them as we please. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's God's commandment to us, right? He said, you can go and murder as viciously, violently, and abundantly as you want, as long as you're doing it to animals, not other human beings. Just go and do it to them because they're completely separate from my my creation. You, you're my favored ones, but them, I don't really care about what you do to them. So just go right ahead. And Christians actually believe this bunk. They actually interpret the Bible in a way that uh, allows for their immoral justifications and their diseased psyches to say, I'm just going to continue this because I interpret that God claimed that this was okay. And they're not even reading their own book. They don't even understand their own book. They don't even understand. They understand the words of the Christ in their own Bible. Zero. Less than zero. They have what I call negative knowledge of it. Not only do they have no idea what the actual teachings of the, uh, the, the Christ consciousness is all about, but they actually have ascribed things to it which have nothing whatsoever to do with it. And to get back to a zero point, to a clean slate, would involve themselves digging themselves out of a hole for a long time. I call that the state of negative knowledge. Not only don't you know anything, you've, you've put a whole lot of erroneous beliefs on top of the zero point. You know, so you have to dig your way back to zero. 
just read the book of Genesis, first of all, if you want to even acknowledge this whole notion of, um, you know, the Bible says, you know, to engage in this kind of practice or not engage in this kind of practice. I think that's a horrible way of judging what's right and wrong, first of all, is that men wrote it in a book and claimed that it was the inspired word of God, and therefore, I'm going to just follow that blindly. You need to know, you need to develop true conscience, which is the definitive knowledge of the objective difference between right and wrong. Not have a belief system about what you think is right or think is wrong. And then back it up with man-written words that you're claiming is the divine and inspired word of God. Let me tell you something. The Bible is written by flawed men for the reason of reasons of their own agenda. And yes, they're putting some truths in there. Absolutely. Because to have a poison pill be taken by anyone, you need to wrap it in a whole lot of good stuff. Otherwise, you'll smell the poison, you'll taste the poison, and you won't want to take it into yourself. That's how that technique of obfuscation works. That's how that technique of worldview poisoning works. To get the poison in, you have to wrap it up in something that is very good. And I'm not saying that that's always the case, but with the biblical writings and the specific choice of the canon of the Bible and deliberately obfuscating and eliminating and keeping out of the official canon other books that could be said to be as equally, quote, unquote, divinely inspired, this done during Constantine's reign, the Council of Nicaea, do the historical research, you know, they're leaving out a whole lot of other things that say things that are in direct opposition and, and uh, contrast to what's being said in other books of the Bible. So the Bible self-contradictory, number one. And I'm not saying there aren't good truths to be found in it. I've talked about them many times on this show. But, you know, let's just give a quote from Genesis that supports the idea that God gave, did, ne did no such thing as his claim to give us dominion over the animal kingdom and say we could just use them as our food as we see fit. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, and this is before the fall, you know, in consciousness, before this horrific event took place that plunged man into the, into the mindset of the animal kingdom, really, that led to a diminution in his consciousness and awareness. The words of God are attributed to this following quote, quote, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. Let me just read that again. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So far, no mention of animals being given to people for food. And to all, to all the beasts of the earth, to all the beasts of the earth and birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, in other words, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. I'll read that again. To all the beasts of the earth and birds of the air and creatures that move on the ground, Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. No mention of other animals, even to the other animals. 
no mention of humans eating other animals or even animals eating other animals for that matter. Zero mention of those practices. So I would ask the quote-unquote religious people, they're really nothing of the kind. They're the false religious people. That's why I call this the false religion justification, who don't consider suffering as the main guiding point to bring you to the truth of what actions you should or should not take. If it's generating suffering, you shouldn't be doing it. And I have no problem with the terms you should or you should not. That's part of the new age bunk agenda to tell you you should never point a finger at anyone else and say you're engaging in something that you should not be. Because why? Oh, that wounds their little precious ego? So you don't want to say anything about it ever? Nonsense. That's another false religion called the new age movement. Never ever talk about the negative or, or you know, uh, threaten someone else's belief system. Oh, because the ego reacts, right? Well, you know what? Maybe that's the whole problem. Maybe people aren't speaking enough about the truth and about what's right. And then other people just think, oh, I'm, there's hardly any uh, reaction to this. There's hardly any uh, blowback to this. So, so I'm just going to continue this practice unabated. No, no one's really calling me out on it. That's the problem, folks. We don't call each other out on our bullshit. That's the problem. This new age notion of just, just letting people do all the harm that they want, never say anything to them, never bring up the negative, never call somebody on the things they should not be doing is nonsense. Nonsense. And anybody teaching that is a false spiritual teacher. So I call this argument the false religion justification. Because it's coming from these completely erroneous notions of religion and even what their own books have told them. And yeah, you can find contrary things to, to, to the quote I just read you out of Genesis. Fine, you're going to find contradiction in the Bible. Want to know why? It's a man-written book, again, to justify human agendas. And they put a lot of spiritual truths in it so that people would accept it, but also in doing so accept the other stuff that they were throwing in the mix. And if you don't understand that that's what the Bible is, you're very, very naive. Very naive. Or just trapped in that uh, modality of mind control called religion, which we talked about. And you don't even understand the astrotheological underpinnings of world religions. Go back into the earlier shows and pull up the podcasts on astrotheology to look that up, to understand that. So the next argument, the next justification in favor of carnism. Don't worry, this one was killed humanely. Think now, just let's think about that. Just think about these words. Killed humanely. Hmm. Hmm. I can't figure this one out. Let's try it again. Killed humanely. Yeah. These are complete antitheses of each other. They're diametric opposites. Treating someone humanely does not involve killing them. So these are polar opposite words, and yet you're using them back to back in the same sentence, trying to get them to mean the same thing. I call this, it's, it is, it's not what I call it, it's 
Orwellian doublespeak. So this is the 1984 doublespeak justification. You could put two diametrically opposing words together and then in your cognitive dissonance attempt to get them to mean the same thing. Killed humanely. Right. Keep believing that, folks. Keep believing that. Because killing is a humane practice. It can be done in a humane way, right? You're taking someone else's life without their consent, but you could do it in a humane way. Keep believing that. Keep lying to yourself, in other words. The next justification is the, I call this the separation worldview justification. The idea that we're all separate and opposite, you know, and, and opposing in nature. And, you know, there are uh, beings that think like us. So, oh, then we should treat them like we are, like we want to be treated. But anything that's not like us, you know, this is alien or foreign to us. Well, we should treat that with disregard or that gives us the permission to treat it with disregard. Not necessarily that we should. But if you happen to start treating it with disregard, well, that's okay because they're not like us. They're not the same as us. This, the phrase here is, they're not conscious or aware like us, so it's okay to kill them for food. And then people will bring the opposite of this argument in as actually, I've heard this brought up as a justification for continuing to eat meat, saying, well, you eat plants. Plants are a form of life. And we're going to directly address this today, this notion of, well, since plants are a form of life, it's equally as wrong to consume them and make them a part of your diet. And people will actually use that justification and say, well, hey, if you're going to eat plants and it's wrong to eat them, why not just go right ahead and eat animals anyway? And there's no real difference. Well, there is a difference. There is a difference. And if you understand the laws of assimilation, if you really understand the natural laws, the true natural order that does exist here, you would understand, yes, we can at this point in our evolutionary development consume plants for our sustenance. I would say at some point when you get, when you move to be as evolved that you would not need plants as part of your diet, that the, the physical vehicle would be so light or so non-physical that you would not need plants, then I would even go and make the statement, now you shouldn't be eating plants. Let them be. If you can live on Breath, live on breath. If you can live on light, live on light. And these things are possible. Not everybody is at that point in evolutionary development. I would say the human physiology is at the point of development where we can live without eating animal flesh, dead animal flesh. And I don't even see really there being any point in time where we could not have, where the practice of carnism was necessary. I don't really see there being any time when that was the case, that it was necessary to do what we're doing to animals, that is completely poisoning the field of consciousness and energy in which we're all living. Look up some of Rupert Sheldrake's work with morphogenic fields, you know, morphogenetic fields. It's phenomenal research, and it's actually borne out in modern science. When you look at unified field physics, you understand this guy isn't just talking about this from any spiritual, just a spiritual point of view. This is backed by modern scientific knowledge. What we're doing is, and we're going to talk about that today in the reading, uh, you know, part of the reading I'm going to 
be giving. How this is poisoning the energy field in which we're all living, the practice of carnism. To look at this animal life as just being not like us, so it's okay to treat them how we want, is total justification, and I call it the, the, the separation worldview argument. Seeing everything as separate from everything else. Instead of suffering is suffering. And it should be our, our mindset to alleviate suffering, regardless of what type of creature is experiencing it. The final justification is... Well, I do feel bad. This is justification number six on slide number 15. I do feel bad about what we're doing to these animals, but I could just, I just could never give up my meat, my meat. It's just too tasty. I just like it too much. And what I call this is the no justification, justification, also known as the truth. Because let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, that's the only truth regarding why people are really continuing to hold on to this practice. They like it. They're used to it. It's too difficult to change. They don't have the will. They don't have the care. They don't have the knowledge. That's all it comes down to. They don't want to change. That desire to alleviate suffering for all beings is not born within them. And therefore, true conscience is ultimately not born within them. Get as offended about that statement as you like, that happens to be the truth. This is the real justification for continuing the religion of carnism. I like it too much. I'm comfortable with it too much. You know? Changing would be too uncomfortable and too difficult and require too much effort and willpower on my part. That's really what they're saying. So what I want to do for the remainder of the show is begin to transition this information from the five cents point of view, which we really focused on last week about how people think it's normal, natural, and necessary to eat um, dead animal flesh. And oh, I... I couldn't possibly be vegetarian. I, my body wouldn't get what I need. I'd be sick. I'd feel weak, etc. All based in ignorance of not doing the vegetarian lifestyle properly. Okay? And these are all arguments that are still based on the self. Still based on the person who's doing the consuming of the meat. They're all still selfish arguments. They're all still five sense arguments. And they're all based in justifications because none of them are based in actual knowledge or truth. What I want to transition the second hour of the show to is let's start looking at the occult arguments, not not even arguments, the occult reasons, the occult knowledge that lies behind why this practice is deplorable. And when we, I'm not asking anyone to believe or accept the two pieces of writing that I'm going to offer here today on the show. You need to look into this and do your own due diligence. You need to do your own research, your own homework. Most of all, you need to look within. This is an issue that deals with conscience. This is an issue that deals with the internal makeup of the individual. 
It doesn't even ultimately rely on anything that is external to the self. I said that last week. One needs to go in and look at their behavior and ask themselves the reason, why do I engage in this type of behavior? Is this behavior ultimately harmful? Is it ultimately creating suffering for other beings? If it's creating suffering for other beings, it's creating suffering for you. If you understand the non-separation, the non-duality of existence. Many people do not understand that. They, they are not at a place in their psyche where, where they are even capable of grasping that truth. So we're going to look at the laws of consciousness relating to reasons why we should really desist and stop in the practice of carnism. We'll look at the law of correspondence and cause and effect. And we will look at two different occult traditions that have dealt with moral reasons why we should not be eating dead animal flesh. As I said last week, morality trumps all arguments in favor of carnism because this is universal spiritual law to do no harm to choose moral right over wrong to choose moral right over actions which create suffering for other beings so we'll get into these readings right after this short two minute break you're listening to what on earth is happening here on the oracle broadcasting radio network we'll be right back Okay, everyone, we're back. We're going to continue to talk about carnism, practice of eating dead animal flesh and justifying it as something that is moral or necessary here on the show. This is part of our ongoing talk about the non-support of dominators and domination. So we're going to get into the occult side of things right now. And I want to read some excerpts from a phenomenal occult author by the name of Max Heindel, H-E-I-N-D-E-L. I've talked about him in the past. I've uh, mentioned him extensively when I did the show with Bob from Cincinnati on the Rosicrucian tradition. Heindel was a Rosicrucian who very much favored vegetarianism and talked about the moral reasons for ceasing and desisting in the practice of carnism. So what I'm going to read here are excerpts from Max Heindel's magnum opus, his great work known as the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception. These are excerpts that deal with nutrition, assimilation, 
and natural law or spiritual laws, the universal laws of consciousness, if you will. So, on the science of nutrition, Max Heindel said actually quite a bit. There's an entire section on this in the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception. And again, I ask no one to believe in this. I ask you to listen with an open mind, research this material on your own, come to your own conclusions based on conscience. In, okay, so here's a quoting from the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception on the science of nutrition. Quote, it may be said generally of the solid foods we take into our system that fresh vegetables and ripe fruits contain the greatest proportion of nutritious, nutritious matter and the least of earthly harmful substances. As we are writing for the aspirant to the higher life, for the aspirant to the higher life, and what he means by that, when he uses the term higher life, he means of higher consciousness, who are trying to actively evolve their consciousness to a higher level. As we are writing for the aspirant to the higher life and not for the general public, it may also be said that animal food should be entirely avoided if possible. No one who kills can go very far along the path of holiness. We do even worse than that if we actually killed, we do even worse than if we actually killed, for in order to shield ourselves from the personal commission of the act of killing and still reap its results, we force a fellow being through economic necessity to devote his entire time to murder, thereby brutalizing him to such an extent that the law will not allow him to act as a juror in cases of capital crime because his business has so familiarized him with the taking of life. And of course, he's talking here about those who work in animal slaughterhouses, which I mentioned last week. That practice turns you into a secondary psychopath. Whether you were a psychopath or not to begin with, it will turn you a normal, healthy, function, functioning brain, it will turn an individual's brain into the brain of a secondary psychopath, and they will be basically indistinguishable in, in behavioral characteristics from a psychopath, from a type 1 psychopath. Continuing, the enlightened know the animals to be their younger brothers and that they will be human in the Jupiter period. The, Ju the P Jupiter period, he's referring to these cycles of evolutionary growth and development that the Rosicrucian tradition speaks of. We shall help them then. We shall then help them as the angels who were human in the moon period are now helping us. And for an aspirant of high ideals to kill, either in person or by proxy. We talked about that, killing by proxy last week, partaking in the results of the murder, and therefore you're justifying that act as something that's okay morally. For an aspirant to high ideals to kill, either in person or by proxy, is out of the question. Several very important food products from animals, such as milk, cheese, and butter, may be used. These are the results of the processes of life and require no tragedies to convert them into food. 
And I would amend that in saying, yes, it requires no tragedy, but it often does involve them. So you want to also, if you're going to consume dairy, you want to look at how that was made. Was that done in a way that isn't tragic to the animals? Because it often is. And those animals often still go to slaughter. One of the reasons I've attempted as much as possible to eliminate milk from my diet, and um, I, I get the eggs that we consume from a non-slaughter source, where the, the, the hens who lay them are treated as practical members of the family by the family who, who raises those chickens. So, he says that dairy products can be used because they require no tragedies on the part of the animals, on the part of us toward the animals to convert them into food. I would agree with that contention. Fruits are an ideal diet. They are, in fact, evolved by the trees to induce animal and man to eat them. Again, seed-bearing plants. The fruits of seed-bearing plants. Probably the highest energy that one could take into their diet. Continuing. They are, in fact, the highest, uh, in fact, evolved by the trees to induce animal and man to eat them so that the seed may be disseminated as flowers entice bees for a similar purpose. Fresh fruits contain water of the purest and best kind, capable of permeating the system in a marvelous manner. And I, I, we talked about how important the distilled water the di distillation process of the plants, bringing in that distilled water for the energy of the body is. That's what you're really taking out of the plant when you chew it, is the distilled water. And then the rest of it is fiber, which is also good for the digestive system. But um, that's why juicing is so important. It has the highest energy substance in that you're, you're taking out and getting it directly into the human bloodstream. Continuing. Fresh fruits contain water of the purest kind, capable of permeating the system in a marvelous manner. It would be foolish for a man to change an ordinary diet which for years had adequately nourished him and take up a new method without due thought as to which would be the best for serving his purpose. So he's saying here, you don't need to immediately go vegetarian overnight. You can transition, wean from the process. And you may need to do it that way because your body is so used to what you've been putting into it, it could be a big shock if you suddenly try to up and quit meat. And I agree. I didn't do it overnight. I wouldn't automatically recommend that someone do it overnight. If you want, if that's your fervent desire, by all means attempt it, but you have to be knowledgeable about what you're doing. You have to be knowledgeable about the possible repercussions that that's going to have on your system. I would never tell somebody to just do that overnight. You no know more than I would tell them to just quit antipsychotics or quit antidepressants overnight. These are often dangerous substances that need to be weaned off of slowly. Otherwise, you could have all kinds of other side effects. And that's one of the arguments people try to start making for why you have to continue to eat meat. No, you're involved in an addiction. And an addiction has side effects that go along with it, especially if you try to go cold turkey from the addiction. So what Heindel's saying here is absolutely vital to understand regarding the transition from the practice of carnism to a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle.
to simply eliminate, continuing now, con to simply eliminate meats from the ordinary diet of meat eaters would unquestionably undermine the health of most persons. The only safe way is to experiment and study the matter out first using due discrimination. No fixed rules can be given, the matter of diet being as individual as any other characteristic. The brain is the coordinating mechanism whereby the movements of the body are controlled and our ideas are expressed. It is built of the same substance as are the other parts of the body with the addition of phosphorus, which is peculiar to the brain alone. The logical conclusion is that phosphorus is the particular element by means of which the ego, and Heindel uses the term ego with a capital E to represent the higher self or the soul, is able to express thought and influence the dense physical body. It is also a fact that the proportion and variation of this substance is to be found, is found to correspond to the state and state of intelligence of the individual. So he's, he's saying how important the mineral phosphorus is, and I agree. And phosphorus is found in green leafy vegetables, especially if you look at beet leaves, they have one of the highest concentration of phosphorus. When I do juicing, I juice whole beets with the leaves and stems. And, um, you know, you want to cut off the, the bottoms and uh, uh, the skin of the beet, the outside part of the beet. But I juice the stem, the leaf, and the beet, then strain that really well and drink that. And beets, and particularly beet leaves, the, the amount of phosphorus in them is excellent for the body. Continuing, it is therefore of great importance that the aspirant who is to use his body for mental and spiritual work should supply his brain with the substance necessary for that purpose. Most vegetables and fruits contain a certain amount of phosphorus, but it is a peculiar fact that the greater proportion is contained in the leaves, which are usually thrown away. It is found in considerable quantities in grapes, onions, sage, beans, cloves, pineapples, and in the leaves and stalks of many vegetables, carrot leaves, beet leaves, etc., and the stalks. Also in sugarcane juice, but not in refined sugar. Now, he's transitioning. These are more um, excerpts from the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception on the law of assimilation. The law of, quote, the law of assimilation allows no particle to be built into our bodies that we as spirits have not overcome and made subject to ourselves. I'll read that one more time. The law of assimilation allows no particle to be built into our bodies that we as spirits have not overcome and made subject to ourselves. That is the law of assimilation. There is life in every particle of food that we take into our bodies. And before we can build that life into our bodies by the process of assimilation, we must overcome and make it subject to ourselves. The more individualized is the particle to be assimilated, the more energy will it require to digest it, and therefore the shorter time it will remain before seeking to reassert itself. So the more individuated the form of energy that you're putting into your body, the harder it is to break it down. The more energy is required on the part of the body to break it down, 
ultimately the more wear and tear goes onto the body by taking that individuated expression into the body. You want something that is less individuated. That's why plants are much less individuated than animals. A animals are an individuated form of consciousness, not part of the group mind of the plant kingdom. That's why it's an entirely different kingdom. It is a different individuated higher level expression of consciousness than is the plant kingdom which is here to nourish us at the stage of evolutionary development that we are at mentally physically and spiritually this is the main reason that yes it is okay for us it is at this point moral for us to consume plants but not animals we are at their level of individuation. Their suffering should be respected. Plants also have a form of consciousness. I'm not denying that. People write to me and say, oh, Mark, plants have a consciousness too. I get it. I understand plants have a form of consciousness. Read the, the book, The Secret Life of Plants is actually an excellent book on that topic. What I'm saying is we, at this point, still require that symbiosis with the plant kingdom through taking their nutrient elements into our physical body. We do not require that when it comes to animals. Therefore, it is unnecessary. It is a needless act of killing. It is a needless act of consumption. That suffering that's going into the world is needless. So continuing with this law of assimilation, which is very critical for people to understand, Heindel says, if it were possible for man to use just minerals as food, they would be ideal for that purpose because of their stability and the little energy required to overcome and subject them to the life of the body. We should be compelled to eat very much less in quantity and also less than we often do now. The plant kingdom is next above the mineral. It has an organization capable of assimilating the mineral compounds of the earth. The plants take in the minerals. They assimilate it because of their capabilities. We don't assimilate those minerals directly from the earth. We do that through the plants. Animals do that through the plants. Man and animal, continuing now, man and animal can assimilate the plants and thus obtain the chemical compounds necessary to sustain their bodies. And as the consciousness of the plant kingdom is that of dreamless sleep, it offers no resistance. It requires but little energy to assimilate the particles thus derived. And having small individuality of their own, the life ensouling the particle does not seek to escape from our body as soon as the food derived from more highly as soon as food derived from the more highly from more highly developed forms meaning animals therefore the strength derived from a diet of fruits and vegetables is more enduring than that derived from a meat diet and the food supply does not require as frequent replenishing besides giving more strength in proportion because less energy is required for assimilation and I am living proof of this law, ladies and gentlemen, because if you 
spoke to me and talked with me and met with me and hung out with me when I was eating meat, the level of energy that I was at mentally and physically is nowhere close nowhere even closely comparable to how much energy I feel on a daily basis eating the right way. And I mean that word in the term of correct and moral. I'm now eating right as opposed to what I was doing in the past. And I told people last week how I was the biggest meat eater around that I knew in my friends, families, and acquaintances. No one could put away more dead animal flesh than me. So if I could do that, I'm living proof that this is doable by anyone. Continuing now. Food composed of the bodies of animals consists of particles which have been worked upon and interpenetrated by an individual desire body. One of the types of uh, expressions of form that exists within us. And I'm, I'm... you know, going off on a tangent here momentarily. There are different forms within the the being. There's the dense body, the vital body, the astral body, okay? Um, these are all talked about in the system, the, the uh, spiritual tradition of Rosicrucianism. And he's making reference to one of these components of the self here, which he calls the desire body. So continuing... Food composed of the bodies of animals consists of particles which have been worked upon and interpenetrated by an individual desire body, and thus having been individualized to a much greater extent than the plant particles. There is an individual cell soul which is permeated by the passions and desires of the animal. It requires considerable energy to overcome it in the first place so that it may be assimilated yet it never becomes so fully incorporated into the polity of the body as do the plant constituents, which have no such strong individual tendencies. And that's because, as I said before, they're not an as individuated form of expression of consciousness as are animals. Continuing, quote, the result is that it is necessary for flesh eaters to consume a greater weight of food than is required by the fruitarian. Also, he must eat oftener. Moreover, this inward strife of the particles of flesh cause greater wear and tear on the body in general, as I just finished saying. Because it requires more energy, the, under the law of assimilation, the body is actually going to wear out at a quicker pace by a heavy meat eater than one who engages in a plant-based diet. And science is finally starting to be beginning to show this and admit this and communicate it to people. Continuing, quote, therefore, when flesh food derived from the herbivores of Therefore, when flesh food derived from the herbivore is such an unstable diet, it is evident that if we should try to use the flesh of carnivorous animals in which the cells are still further individuated, because they're taking in individuated forms, okay, we, sh- we would be forced to consume enormous quantities of food. Eating would occupy the greater part of our time, but notwithstanding that, we would always be lean and hungry. 
That such is its effect can be seen in the wolf and the vulture. Their leanness and hunger are proverbial. Cannibals eat human flesh, but only at long intervals and as a luxury. As man does not confine himself exclusively to a meat diet, his flesh is not that of an entirely carnivorous beast. Nevertheless, the hunger of the cannibal has also become the burden of a proverb. If the flesh of the herbivore were the essence of what is good in plants, then logically the flesh of the carnivore should be the quintessence. The meat of wolves and vultures would thus be the creme de la creme and much to be desired. This we know is not the case, but quite the reverse. The nearer we get to the plant kingdom, the more strength we derive from our food. If the reverse were the case, the flesh of carnivorous animals would be sought by other beasts of prey. But examples of, quote, dog eat dog, unquote, are very few throughout nature. This next section are excerpts from the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception on the principles of live and let live. So this what is what I would consider natural law underpinnings, the real natural order. Universal spiritual law underpinnings for a vegetarian diet. Quote, the first law of science is thou shalt not kill of occult science. Pardon me. I'll repeat this. The first law of occult science is thou shalt not kill. To do no harm. That's the first law of occult science. Knowledge of the knowledge of conscience natural law the universal spiritual mostly unseen or occulted laws of nature thou shalt not kill is law number one do no harm continuing and that should have the greatest weight with the aspirant to the higher life the first law of occult science thou shalt not kill that should have the greatest weight with the aspirant to the higher life. As I said, the moral truth about carnism trumps all of the justifications in the five senses that are used to justify this practice. The real question is, is it right? Do you own the life of another to take and use as you will? And the answer is no. Another, it's another part of the argument people use, well, you're killing plants. No, a lot of plants, you don't need to kill the plant to use its fruit or its leaves. Some vegetables, yes, you kill the entire thing by, by taking it from the ground, but it, it, that is also not necessary. You can survive on the fruit and leaves of vegetables and nuts and seeds and berries, things like that. It does not have to be the entire plant destroyed. So that's another part of the fallacious argument that you're doing as much harm and wrong when you, you know, eat vegetables and plant matter that, as when you're eating animals. Continuing, we cannot create so much as one particle of dust. Therefore, what right have we to destroy the very least form? All form is an expression of the one life, the life of God. We have no right to destroy the form through which the life is seeking experience and force it to rebuild a new vehicle. 
Sometimes the objection is made that life is also taken when vegetables and fruits are eating, eaten. But that statement is based upon a complete misunderstanding of the facts. When the fruit is ripe, it has accomplished its purpose, which is to act as a womb for the ripening of the seed. If not eaten, it decays and goes to waste. Moreover, it is designed to serve as food for the animal and human kingdoms, thus affording the seed opportunities for growth by scattering it in fertile soil. Besides, just as the ovum and semen of human beings are ineffectual without the seed atom of the reincarnating ego and the matrix of its vital body, so any seed, any egg or seed of itself is devoid of life. It is if it is given the proper conditions of incubator or soil, the life of the group spirit is then poured into it, thus grasping the opportunity so afforded of producing a dense body. If the egg or seed is cooked, crushed, or not given the conditions necessary for the life, the opportunity is lost, but that is all. At the present stage of the evolutionary journey, Everyone knows inherently that it is wrong to kill. And man will love and protect the animals in all cases where his greed and selfish interest, where his greed and selfish interest has not, does not blind him to their rights. Man will love and protect the animals in all cases where his greed and selfish interest does not blind him to their rights. The law protects even a cat or dog against wanton cruelty, except in, quote, sport, that most wanton of all our cruelties against the animal creation. He's talking about hunting for, you know, the sake of killing. It is always for the sake of money that animals are murdered and, and bred to be murdered. He's saying, in, except in sport. By the devotees of sport, the helpless creatures are shot down to no purpose save to bolster up a false idea of prowess on the part of the huntsman. It is hard to understand how people who appear otherwise sane and kindly for the time can, can for the time trample upon all their gentler instincts and revert to bloodthirsty savagery, killing for the sheer lust of blood and joy in destruction. It is certainly a reversion to the lowest savage animal instincts and can never be dignified into the remotest semblance of anything manly. How much more beautiful it would be for man to play the role of friend and protector of the weak. Absolutely magnificent as far as I am concerned and People should take a reading like that to heart and should contemplate it on their own. So again, that was three sections, three um, excerpts from sections of the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception by Max Heindel, which is posted with last week's podcast and will be posted again with this week's. Last week's podcast was 121. This week's is number 122. Now, that was from the Rosicrucian tradition. And once again, I mean, 
I call when I say Rosicrucian tradition, I'm talking about the esoteric original intent that is ancient, that is not born in any particular modern lodge system of of Rosicrucian teaching. I consider that that is true to the original intent of ancient esoteric Rosicrucianism, as what I'm going to read momentarily is true to the original esoteric intentions of the original ancient Freemasonic tradition. So this is written by the Freemason C.W. Leadbeater. And um, that is, of course, a pseudonym because he's, you know, the beater of the lead, the metals, the base metals, attempting to turn them into gold. It's an alchemical pseudonym. This is from his essay known as, called um, Vegetarianism and Occultism. Vegetarianism and Occultism, which was published in 1913 by the Theosophical Publishing House. I'm going to read an excerpt from the earlier part of the essay, and I'm going to skip over the, the first entire section of the essay, which is all about the five sense aspect of vegetarianism, the bodily aspects of it, okay, which I covered last week. And you can read this. It's going to be posted with the podcast as well. I'm going to begin, I'm going to pick this up in the section where he talks about the occult reasons for being a vegetarian. But first he defines what occultism is. And it's one of the best definitions of occultism that I've read. He says, Leadbeater says, quote, how shall we define occultism? The word is derived from the Latin occultus, meaning hidden, so that it is the study of the hidden laws of nature. Occultism is the study of the hidden laws of nature. Since the great laws of nature are in fact working in the invisible world far more than in the visible, occultism involves the acceptance of a much wider view of nature than that which is ordinarily taken. The occultist, then, is a man who studies all the laws of nature that he can reach or of which he can hear. And as a result of his study, he identifies himself with these laws and devotes his life to the service of evolution. And he doesn't mean macrobiological Darwinian evolutionary theory. He's talking about evolution in consciousness, evolution toward the higher life, toward the higher self. Now, going uh, farther in the document to the section called Occult Reasons for Vegetarianism, he says, quote, under this heading, also we shall have two sets of reasons those which refer to ourselves and our own development, and those which refer to the great scheme of evolution and our duty toward it, so that once more we may classify them as selfish and unselfish, although at a much higher level than before. I have, I hope, clearly shown in the earlier part of this lecture that there is simply no room for discussion in regard to, in regard to the question of vegetarianism. The whole of the evidence and of the considerations are entirely on one side. And there is absolutely nothing to be said in opposition to them. This is even more strikingly the case when we come to consider the occult part of our argument. There are some students 
hovering round the fringes of occultism who are not yet prepared to follow its dictates to the utmost. And when he says dictates, he's not talking about any particular system of occult teachings. He means the dictates of the laws of nature, which are dictates, meaning they're spoken into, re into inherent reality by the creator himself. And they're not suggestions. They're laws that are dictated by the word, the energetic underlying intelligence of all creation. That's why they're natural laws. They're inherent, non-man-made, immutable, binding conditions, which we defined when we talked about natural law. So there are some students hovering around the fringes of occultism who are not yet prepared to follow its dictates to the utmost and therefore do not accept its teaching when it interferes with their personal habits and desires. I'll say that again. People hovering on the fringes of these great teachings, these laws of nature, who are not yet prepared to follow the dictates of the laws of nature, therefore do not accept its teaching when it interferes with their personal habits and desires. Continuing, quote, Some such have tried to maintain that the question of food can make little difference from the occult standpoint. But the unanimous verdict of all the great schools of occultism, both ancient and modern, has been definite on this point and has asserted that for all true progress, purity is necessary, even on the physical plane and in matters of diet, as well as in higher, far higher matters. In many books and lectures, I have already explained the existence of the different planes of nature and of the vast unseen world all about us. I have also had occasion to refer often to the fact that man has within himself matter belonging to all these higher planes, so that he is furnished with a vehicle corresponding to each of them, through which he can receive impressions, and by means of which he can act. Can these higher bodies of man be in any way affected by the food which enters into the physical body? with which they are all they are so closely connected assuredly they can and for this reason the physical matter in man is in close touch with the astral and mental matter so much so that each is to a great extent a counterpart of the other so he's saying there's really no separation they're all affected each part of the self each part of the dense, vital, astral bodies. They're all connected. They're all feeding off of each other's energy. What you do to one, you do to all. This is part of the non-separation, the unity aspect of consciousness. We have to stop looking at the physical and spiritual in separate terms, in terms of separateness. They are one. Continuing. There are many types and degrees of density among astral matter. For example, so that it is possible for one man to have an astral body built of coarse and gross particles, while another may have one which is much more delicate and refined. As the astral body is the vehicle of the emotions, passions, and sensations, it follows that the man whose astral body is of the grosser type will be chiefly amenable to the grosser varieties of passion and emotion, 
whereas the man who has a finer astral body will find its particles more readily that 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 its particles more readily vibrate in response to higher and more refined emotions and aspirations. The man, therefore, who builds gross and undesirable matter into his physical body is thereby drawing into his astral body matter of a coarse and unpleasant type as its counterpart. And then what do you, th- and I'm, I'm interjecting, what do you think will be the result of the behavior of that individual? In most cases. Continuing, quote, We all know that on the physical plane, the effect of overindulgence in dead flesh is to produce a coarse, gross appearance in man. That does not mean that it is, the, it is only the physical body which is in an unlovely condition. It means also that those parts of the man which are invisible to our ordinary sight, in other words, occulted, the astral and the mental bodies are not in good condition either. Thus, a man who is building himself a gross and impure physical body is building for himself at the same time coarse and unclean astral and mental bodies as well. That is visible at once to the eye of the developed clairvoyant. The man who learns to see these higher vehicles sees at once the effects on the higher bodies produced by impurity in the lower. He sees at once the difference between the man who feeds his physical vehicle with pure food and the man who puts into it this loathsome decaying flesh. Let us see how this difference will affect the man's evolution. Impure vehicles is the next section. Quote, If it is clear that a man's duty with regard to himself is to develop all his different vehicles as far as possible in order to make him finished instruments for the use of the, make them finished instruments for the use of the soul, there is all, there is still, there is a still higher stage in which that soul itself is, is being trained to be a fit instruments in the hands of the deity, a perfect channel for divine grace. But the first step towards this high aim is that the soul itself shall learn thoroughly to control the lower bodies, so that there shall be in them no thought or feeling except those which the soul allows. All these vehicles, therefore, should be in the highest possible condition of efficiency. All should be pure and clean and free from taint. And it is obvious that this can never be so long as the man absorbs into the physical encasement such undesirable constituents. So he's saying garbage in, garbage out. It's very simple. You put that which is of a lower vibratory energy in, you're going to have a lower vibratory energy be built as a result. These are the building materials, not only for the physical vehicle, but for the spiritual vehicles as well. Continuing, quote, even the physical body and its sense perceptions can never be at their best unless the food is pure. Anyone who adopts vegetarian diet will speedily begin to notice that his sense of taste or smell is far keener than it was when he fed upon flesh. 
and that he is now able to discern a delicate difference of flavors in foods which before he had thought of as tasteless, such as rice or wheat. The same thing is true to a still greater extent with regard to the higher bodies. Their senses cannot be clear if impure or coarse matter is drawn into them. Anything of this nature clogs and dulls them so that it becomes more difficult for the soul to use them. This is a fact which has always been recognized by the student of occultism. You will find that all those who in ancient days entered upon the mysteries were men of utmost purity and of, cor of course invariably vegetarian. Carnivorous diet is fatal to anything like real development, and those who adopt it are throwing serious and unnecessary difficulties in their own way. Leadbeater here is making the contention, he's actually claiming that those who studied and partook of the ancient mysteries were in fact almost invariably vegetarian. Continuing, quote, I am well aware that there are other and still higher considerations which are of, are of greater weight than anything, upon, than anything upon the physical plane, and that the purity of the heart and soul is more important than that of the body. Yet there is surely no reason why we should not have both. Indeed, the one suggests the other, and the higher should include the lower. There are quite enough difficulties in the way of self-control and self-development. It is surely worse than foolish to go out of our way and add another and very considerable one to the list. Although it is true that a pure heart will do more for us than a pure body, yet the latter can certainly do a great deal. And we are, none of us, so far advanced along the road towards spirituality that we can afford to neglect the great advantage that it gives us. Anything that makes our path harder than it need be is emphatically something to be avoided. In all cases, this flesh food undoubtedly makes the physical body a worse instrument and puts difficulties in the way of the soul by intensifying all the undesirable elements and passions belonging to these lower planes. Nor is, it the serious, nor is this serious effect during physical life the only one which we have to think, of which we have to think. If through inducing loathsome impurities into the physical body, the man builds himself a coarse and unclean astral body. We have to remember that this, that it is in this degraded vehicle that we, he will have to spend the first part of his life after death. Because of the gross matter which he has built into it, all sorts of undesirable entities will be drawn into association with him and will make his vehicles their home and find it and find a ready response within him to their lower passions. It is not only that his animal passions are more easily stirred here on earth, but in addition to this, he will suffer acutely from the working out of these desires after death. Here again, looked at even from the selfish point of view, we see that occult considerations confirm the straightforward common sense of the arguments on the physical plane. The higher sight, when brought to bear upon this problem, shows us still more vividly how undesirable the devouring of flesh, since it intensifies within us that from which we most need to be free, and therefore, from the point of view of progress, that habit is a thing that can be cast out once and forever, man's duty toward nature. Then there is the far more important unselfish side of the question, that of man's duty toward nature. Every religion has taught that man should put himself always on the side 
of the will of God in the world, on the side of good against evil, of evolution as against retrogression. The man who ranges himself on the side of evolution realizes the wickedness of destroying life, for he knows that just as he is here in this physical body, in order that he may learn the lessons of this plane, so is the animal occupying his body for the same reason, that through it he may gain experience at his lower stage. He knows that the life beyond, behind the animal is the divine life, and that all life in the world is divine. The animals, therefore, are truly our brothers, even though they may be younger brothers. And we can have no sort of right to take their lives for the gratification of our perverted tastes, no right to cause them untold agony and suffering merely to satisfy our degraded and detestable lusts. We have brought things to such pass with our miscalled sport and our wholesale slaughterings, all that that all wild creatures fly from the sight of us. Does that seem like the universal brotherhood of God's creatures? Is that your idea of the golden age of worldwide kindliness that is to come? A condition when every living thing flees from the face of man because of his murderous instincts? There is an influence flowing back upon us from all this, an effect which you can hardly realize unless you are able to see how it looks when regarded with the sight of the higher plane. Every one of these creatures which, which you so ruthlessly murder in this way has its own thoughts and feelings in regard to all of this. It has horror, pain, and indignation, and an intense but unexpressed feeling of the hideous injustice of it all. The whole atmosphere about us is full of it. Twice lately I have heard from psychic people that they felt the awful aura or surroundings of Chicago even many miles away from it. Miss Besant herself told me of the same things years ago in England, that long before she came in sight of Chicago, she felt the horror of it and the deadly pall of depression descending upon her and asked, where are we and what is the reason that there should be this terrible feeling in the air? To sense the effect as clearly as this beyond the reach is beyond the reach of the person who is not developed, but though all the inhabitants may not be directly conscious of it and recognize it as Miss Besant Mrs. Besant did, they may be sure that they are suffering from it unconsciously and that that terrible vibration of horror and fear and injustice is acting upon every one of them though they know it not. The feelings of nervousness and profound depression which are so common there are largely due to that awful influence which spreads over the city like a plague cloud. I do not know how many thousands of creatures are killed every day but the number is very large. Remember that, the, that every one of these creatures is a definite entity, not a permanent reincarnating entity like yours or mine, but still an entity which has a life upon the astral plane and persists there for a considerable time. Remember that every one of these remains to pour out his feeling of indignation and horror at all the injustice and torment which has been inflicted upon him. Remember for yourself that, te that ter the terrible atmosphere which exists about those which exists about those slaughterhouses. Remember that a clairvoyant can see the vast host of animal souls, that he knows how strong are their feelings of horror and resentment, and how those recoil at all the points upon the human race, at all points upon the human race. They react most of all upon those who are at least able to resist them, upon the children who are more delicate and sensitive than the hardened adult. 
that city is a terrible place in which to bring up children, a place where the whole atmosphere, both physical and psychic, is charged with fumes of blood and with all that that means. So um, Leadbeater is saying here, the morphogenic field is poisoned. The field of consciousness and energy that we all live in is poisoned as a result of this practice of carnism. And I made reference to that last week and will again in image number 12 on the slideshow. Look at the images and ask yourself the question, what is this practice doing energetically to the field of consciousness in which we are all living? I'm going to pause the reading here to uh, go to a, a slide number 16 and just have people take a look at what's being said so far in, these, in this occult dynamic, the, the higher hidden dynamic, uh, which is really what we need to understand, to understand what we're doing not only to these beings but to everyone, to, to ourselves, to the entire species, to other species most of all. Okay, but we need to understand the self-inflicted effects through the laws of correspondence, the higher laws of nature, the laws that ultimately govern the consequences of our behavior. I showed this slide last week, but with no explanation. It was two small fish being eaten or pursued to be eaten by a larger fish, and then that fish ultimately being pursued to be consumed by an even larger fish. People will look at this thing, at, the, at this uh, scenario, and they will say, well, that's the natural order. Everything eats everything else. This form of life eats that life, and then that life eats the, the, the life below it. And the, a life above it eats it. And this is a completely erroneous worldview when it comes to what the natural order actually is. This has nothing to do with the, quote, natural order. So I put on this slide. This scene does not depict the, quote, natural order. The natural order is that everything does not eat everything else. That is not what the natural order is. What this scene depicts is chaos, not order. Chaos is depicted in the scene where everything eats everything else and then is eaten by things above it that have the, its same level of consciousness, of low consciousness. This is not what the creation has intended for its creations. The creator has not intended this for all of its creations to suffer in an eternal prison of eating and being eaten. This is a choice that is created by a belief system. That's what this picture is depicting. It depicts the chaos that we have chosen and created for ourselves through our false belief systems, or in other words, religions, of which carnism is one of the biggest on earth, along with the other false um, organized religions, along with the religion of authority and ultimately the religion of money, which drives everything. All of our other negative belief systems largely driven by that belief, by that religion. That's the religion of the New World Order, as I called it, is the god of money. The middle fish in this depiction is humanity. That is the middle, the middle fish, the one that's eating the smaller fish below it, but being eaten by the big fish above it. That's us, folks. Whether you realize it, recognize it, want it to be true or not, that's us. Not because that's the natural order. 
That's where we've put ourselves. That's the condition we have created for ourselves by ignoring the laws of creation. And in that ignorance, we're creating this condition. This is not the universal natural order, the way it must be, the way it always has been and forever shall be. That's an erroneous worldview that is not based in truth at all. The fact of the matter is, this is what the human condition has become because of our attachments to religion, to false religious beliefs, to false belief systems in general. So this is what humanity has become like, and this is what humanity will be like for as long as we continue to engage in such fundamentally flawed ideologies like carnism and many others. That attachment is what is going to keep us in that position. And that is what the law of correspondence dictates. That as we do, so shall be done unto us. So if you want to be free, you have to allow other beings to be free. As long as you enslave and consume other beings, you will be enslaved and consumed. That is the law of creation. You just don't want to acknowledge it. You just don't want to admit that's how it is. You don't want to admit that that's the reason why you're in the prison that you're in. The my freedom movement doesn't want to acknowledge that. It wants to say, I can have things both ways. I can still be a dominator. I can still be involved in the process of murder and and domination over other beings, and somehow, magically, I can still have my freedom bestowed upon me. And it doesn't work that way, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't work that way. Understand the laws of correspondence and causality. We're creating this prison for ourselves by our attachments to false belief systems. We break those false belief systems, we can step out of that chain. Again, this never-ending chain is all about the chain of obedience and attachment to falsity, to lies. We step outside of that attachment, we would be that fish stepping outside of that chain, no longer being a part of it, saying no, saying no. And that's what it's going to take, that level of will, that level of care, that level of of intelligence, bringing all three of those aspects into harmony, into unison with each other and engaging them. Now, next week, I'll wrap up the reading, the end of the reading uh, of Leadbeater, but it will also be posted to the website. I think it bears um, finishing the last two sections where I paused uh, just to finish it. But I want to basically wrap up uh, with a phenomenal quote. This is in image number 17 by um, Gandhi, image number 17 in the slideshow. Gandhi said that a nation's moral progress can be judged by the way it treats its animals. A nation's moral progress can be judged by the way it treats its animals. I would ask everyone to watch the movie Earthlings, which will be posted again with this podcast, and and ask yourself the question, How is our moral progress going? Remember, ladies and gentlemen, there are only two mistakes that one can ever make along the path to truth. 
not starting, and not going all the way. That's all the time we have for this edition of What on Earth is Happening. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. We'll see you next week.